Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in Peter's first letter to the suffering Christians in modern-day Turkey. The title of our series is Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. Peter wrote this letter to Christians living in the first century in modern-day Turkey. Imagine living there amongst the pressures of those who would not agree and, in fact, would oppose your faith in Christ Jesus, much like those who are living there today. And the text this morning is from 1 Peter 5, 6-11. And the title of our sermon this morning is Humility in Action. Humility in Action. Last week, Corey preached from 1 Peter 5, 1-5, through a message he entitled, A Humble Church. And as I listened to that message, a couple of questions came into my mind. Number one, am I a humble man? Number two, am I a humble pastor? Number three, are we a humble church? And then finally, how would we know? How do we discern whether we are a humble church? I'm a humble pastor and I'm a humble man. Well, in our text this morning, in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, the Lord answers that question. He shows us what humility in action looks like. So let's read that together. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Let's read God's clear picture, God's portrait of a humble person. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In our text this morning, God is positioning us to receive His grace. We do that by humbling ourselves under His mighty hand, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. In fact, that is the propositional statement for our message. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Verse 6 is like a hinge verse. In verse 5, God tells us to humble ourselves toward one another. Let me read it to you. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Last week, God instructs us to humble ourselves toward one another. This week, in verse 6, He turns that humility Godward to Himself. So verse 6 is a hinge verse. And He says that we're to humble ourselves under His mighty hand. This term, the mighty hand of God, is a wonderful term that has rich, vivid imagery in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God's mighty hand is seen most clearly in his deliverance of his people, Israel, from the bondage of slavery to Egypt. This occurred in 1400 BC, about 3500 years ago. 
And we read there that God, through his power, through his mighty hand, delivered his people from slavery, from captivity, into the promised land. The text that most vividly displays that is Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. But the ultimate picture of God's mighty hand is his power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus, who is the mighty hand of God, who delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. We see this clearly articulated in Luke chapter 1, verse 66b. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. And skipping down verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The mighty hand of God revealed in Jesus Christ, revealed when God raised him from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. And here this morning, God is commanding us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Let me speak firstly to our guests this morning who may not be Christians. Thank you for coming. But here God is commanding you to humble yourself under his mighty hand, to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And to the rest of us, to the believers here this morning, God is saying to humble yourself under his mighty hand that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now that proper time is at the second coming of Christ. However, When we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he begins to exalt us even today. It's kind of like the kingdom of God. It's already here. We already humble ourselves under God's already mighty hand, and he already begins to exalt us, but not fully yet. That will occur in its consummation at the coming of Christ, when he will share his glory then with those who share Christ's suffering Now, humility, dear friends, positions us to receive God's grace. Remember verse 5. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the question then is, how do we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? What does humility in action look like? And according to our text this morning, humility in action has three distinctives. Number one, It trusts God. Number two, it stands firm in the faith. And number three, humility believes God's promise. Those are our three main points. Let's begin with point one. Humility trusts God. According to verse seven, we are to cast all of our anxieties on God because he cares for us. That is what a humble person does. They they cast their anxieties on God because they trust God that he cares for them. You see, when troubles come, when difficulties come, it always tests in whom we are trusting. If we trust ourselves and we try to fix the things in our lives that God has allowed, trusting solely in our own ability, our own plans, our own thoughts, then friends, we will be fraught with anxiety. 
But when we believe that God cares for us, when we abandon our own ability to care for ourselves and we say, God, I trust you. I trust you that you care for me. Then as the troubles rise, the anxiety will decrease. Why? Because we are trusting God in suffering, in adversity, in problems. Let me ask you a question. What are you anxious about this morning, right now? Is it finances? Is it a a relationship perhaps that is not going very well? Are you anxious about caring for your children? Are you anxious about the church? Are you anxious about school, whether you're going to be accepted in the school that you desire? Are you anxious about your career? God here says, Humble yourself under my mighty hand. Stop trying to work it out in your own strength and power. And trust me, trust me. One of my favorite scriptures, a a well-worn scripture path that I walk down when anxiety begins to rise, when when I'm trusting myself rather than Almighty God and His powerful hand, is Matthew chapter 6. Verses 31 to 34. I commend this scripture to you to read at night, to memorize, to read to your spouse, to your children, to others when you're tempted to be anxious. Listen to it. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about it. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Friends, what this is telling us is that we trust God. Don't import tomorrow's troubles into today. There's enough trouble today. And let me say this. I believe that anxiety reveals as much our pride as it reveals our unbelief. Because humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand is saying, God, I trust you to care for me, even though you've allowed suffering and difficulties to come into my life. We're saying, Lord, I submit to you. I humble myself under you. Even when things are happening I don't want to happen or things are not happening that I would like to happen, instead of shaking my fist in your face and saying, why God? And trying to work things out, manipulate situations. No, rather than that, I humble myself under God's mighty hand because he cares for me. Anxiety is inversely related to humility. The more humble I am, the more I submit and humble myself to God's mighty hand, the less anxious I become. But the prouder I am, the more I rail against God and try to tell God, God, don't you see? Don't you see what I need? Don't you understand what I want? And I forget what it just said in Matthew 6 that he knows. Then the more anxious I become, the more intense I become, And here's here's the good news, friends. As we trust God, as we grow in our humility to submit ourselves under God's mighty hand, then our lives begin to explode like the fireworks displays we're all going to attend tomorrow. And they're going to begin to shine brightly in the skies of God's 
care for God's people. It's like those fireworks going off, boom, boom, boom. As situations arise in your life, you say, I humble myself under God's mighty hand. I trust God. What begins to be illuminated is God's character, God's uh, faithfulness, God's worthiness to be trusted. I I love fireworks displays. I'm looking forward to seeing them tomorrow. And as they go off, it causes us to, to ooh and ah, we enjoy it so much. And as we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and say, you're able to deliver me, Lord. There's a purpose in this suffering. You are working. Then God's name is illuminated in the skies for all the world to see. Juan Sanchez in his commentary on this verse says the following, The God who delivered Israel out of Egypt and who raised the Lord Jesus from the grave with a mighty hand, is able to deliver us as we suffer. There is no safer place in the universe to be than under his mighty hand. And when Jesus is revealed, that will be the only safe place to be. Friends, we can try to fix situations on our own, thinking that it's up to us to care for ourselves. That is a very dangerous place to be. And if you are not a Christian and you are not under God's mighty hand, you have not humbled yourself under that mighty hand by trusting in Christ as your Savior, you're in a very unsafe place. And I appeal to you, unbeliever, and I appeal to you, believer, to humble yourself under God's mighty hand, for that's the safest place to be. Yes, that hand might bring suffering, even persecution and difficulties for the sake of Christ's name. But, oh, friends, it's the safest place to be. And on that final day, When Jesus returns, it's the only place to be safe from the wrath of God. Even like firefighters hide under these thermal blankets when the fire goes through and over them and then they emerge safe. So we hide under God's mighty hand, humbling ourselves under it. And we emerge safe as the wrath of God does not touch us, but rather we receive the glory of Christ because we trust in Him. We trust in Him because He cares for us. But listen, in this text, Peter tells us that there is another one who does not care for us, but he seeks to devour us. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Friends, the second thing that a humble person does is they stand firm in their faith in the face of opposition by the enemy. Point two, humility stands firm in the faith. A humble person understands that they have an adversary. Why? Because when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, when we repent and believe in Christ, we become his people. And therefore, God's enemy, his ancient foe, the devil, Satan, who has warred against God from the beginning in rebellion, will seek to devour God's people from the Garden of Eden all the way through to the end of time. We see that the enemy, the devil, seeks to devour, to accuse, to come against God's people in his war against God. And so, therefore, a humble person is sober-minded is watchful, and they stand firm in their faith. 
and therefore resist the enemy. A humble person doesn't fold in the face of opposition, but stands firm in the face of opposition. You know that on 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was signed and the independence from the tyranny of another nation, the day of that signing in September in 1776 was not the cessation of hostilities. No, that was just the beginning. When that Declaration of Independence was signed, there were still seven more years of fighting. The War of Independence did not end until 1783. Friends, our Declaration of Independence was signed by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection from the dead, but that did not signal the end of hostilities but rather the intensification of hostilities. But here's the good news. We know that we are on the winning side. God has defeated sin and death. We just read that in Luke 1, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So a humble person believes that and and stands firm in their faith, in the gospel faith that God himself gives us. When we read here in the text that part of what enables us to stand firm in the faith is understanding that we're part of those across the world, this this people of God, this army of God, who stand together, suffering together, in the battle together. They're, They're suffering all over the globe, but we stand in solidarity, and that encourages us to stand firm in the faith. Ralph Elliott will be here speaking to us at the end of this month, someone who lives in Turkey, Someone who's suffering there, but he's standing firm in the faith. So the knowledge and the testimony of Ralph and his family encourages us in Miami Lakes to stand firm in the faith when we're tempted by our adversary, the devil. When accusations come, when difficulties come, when we're tempted to not believe the gospel. You know, sometimes it's harder to stand firm in the faith in Weston than it is in Istanbul. Because in Istanbul, the enemy is right there. There is danger. It is difficult. But in Weston, the enemy can be the enemy within. Sort of the country club mentality of Christianity. A desire to kind of compromise a little bit on the gospel. Materialism can slide in there. Selfishness. But, but a humble man, a humble woman, stands firm in the faith because Christ has delivered us that faith and has given us that faith and the gospel is in us and working powerfully by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Where are you tempted to fold rather than stand firm in the faith? Where do you need to be strengthened in your faith this morning? Again, the word I felt from the Lord, even during our worship time, was this area of the enemy within, the accusations of the devil that come against us when we simply can't overcome those sins, those problems, those things that we know are not according to God and His Word and we keep doing them. And God, I believe, wants to encourage you this morning. Stand firm in the faith. The gospel is true. It's real. Jesus is here to help and to strengthen us. And He will. Why? Because He cares for you. Because He bought you with His blood. Because He signed your independence with His own blood. And He rose from the dead and He lives. And the power of the gospel is working in us. So humble people stand firm in the faith. And they stand firm in the faith because they believe the promises of God. Point number three. Humility believes God's 
promises. Humility believes God's promises. I love what it says in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What we see here is the battle is temporary. After you have suffered for a little while, we fight believing what God says, that the victory is drawing near. There will come a day when there is no more war. Jesus began that battle. He signed the Declaration of Independence. We are now in the midst of it after his death and resurrection, and we are fighting it. It is difficult, but it will not always be. But the glory that he promises to share with us in this verse 10 will be eternal. And so we believe that promise. We believe the promise of verse 10 that he's the God of all grace. Remember, the purpose of this message is that God wants to position us to receive his grace. To do that requires humility. Humility. And so God is positioning us to receive his grace as we humble ourselves and believe his promises. Listen, friend, God has not abandoned us in the battle with our adversary. He hasn't. He's with us. He's actually called us to this battle. And when we believe that promise, it's like fireworks are going out from our lives saying, God is faithful. God is faithful. And Peter brings this fireworks display of the glory of God to a rousing crescendo with four verbs that are found at the end of verse 10. See where it says, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Imagine that fireworks display. It builds in intensity. And then at the end, these massive fireworks begin to fire off in rapid succession. Boom, boom, boom. Boom! And everybody is in awe as they begin to explode over their heads and the skies are lit with the glory of thy that fireworks display. Well, in this verse, those verbs act as those fireworks. Boom! God will restore us. Boom! God will confirm us. Boom! God will strengthen us. Boom! God will establish us. And as we believe these promises that have their ultimate fulfillment at the, at the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, but already we're experiencing them now. So it's both now, already, but not yet fully, but it will be fully for all eternity. So we put the suffering and the trials in perspective. God himself will restore us. God will share Christ's glory with us. God himself will confirm us. God himself will strengthen us. God himself will establish us. Again, the beauty of this is is God's going to restore you. He promises to restore you into the image of Christ. Remember, salvation is all about God restoring his fallen and marred and disfigured creation into the perfect image of Christ. That is what God has promised to do. 
And that is the promise that we're going to believe. Even when we're caught in the battle and we can't seem to get out of that sin, we can't seem to change that situation. We see fallen man hurting one another, hurting us. We're experiencing the, 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 the corruptness of the image of God, but we believe that one day it will be restored fully in Christ. And we see glimpses of it now. We believe that God will confirm us. The trials don't come to destroy our faith, but to confirm our faith. Even as fire cannot destroy gold, but rather purifies it, so these trials and these sufferings come to confirm and purify our faith, not destroy it. And we believe that. God will himself will strengthen us. When we are at our last bit of strength, when we're on our knees and say, God, I can't take any more bad news. I can't take any more bad reports from the doctor about my health or another person leaving me or a friendship that hasn't worked out or not getting that promotion or whatever it might be. I'm at the end of my strength. Jesus has come. I'm your strength. I'm your strength. And we believe that promise. And one day we will live in pure strength forever and ever, experiencing some of it now. And finally, God will establish us. Jesus is the foundation upon which God establishes us. When everything else is shaking and falling apart and terrorist attacks and difficulties and I look in the mirror and I'm a middle-aged person and I think, has my life been a failure? Has it been worth it? Or, or I look in the mirror and I don't see the image of Christ, but rather I see a worldly person that wants to change but is having a hard time changing. I believe that God will establish me upon the foundation of Christ. He already has established me and that will continue to be stronger and stronger until the day Christ returns and I'll live with him forever and ever. God, God who's called us to this battle, who's called us to this suffering, is the God of all strength and power. His mighty hand will see us through and so we trust and believe in his promises. He knows how to bring his people through. And that's the assurance Peter is giving first century Christians in modern day Turkey. That's the assurance he's giving us today. He's positioning us to receive God's grace. As we trust God, as we stand firm in the faith, in the faith, as we face opposition, and as he enables us to believe his promises here, Here is God's appeal to you this morning, that you would humble yourself under his mighty hand, that you would cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, that he would stand firm in the faith delivered to you by Christ, and that you would believe his promise to exalt those who are humbled in him. Where where is the battle in your life? What are the front lines of the battle in your life today? Where are you tempted to be anxiously proud where, where you want to tell God what you need, where, where you're not trusting in his care, but trying to care for yourself in a way apart from God, doing things that perhaps God would not want you to do. Is it with that troublesome boss, those online comments, that neighborhood association, those financial woes that don't seem to go away? Oh, friend, cast your cares, your anxieties upon him. For he knows what you need and he cares for you. He proved that by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins. What is the battlefield? What are the front lines where God has called you to stand firm in the faith, resisting the devil, the accuser of the brethren? 
Is it the accusations he brings over persistent sin? Is it the doubts he tries to bring to your faith as if it is not working to sanctify you? Or is it doubts even about God's goodness in the face of evil? Oh, friends, the gospel is powerful. It is the power of God for salvation. Stand firm in that faith. And what promises of grace are you tempted to forget or doubt in the midst of your suffering and opposition and difficulties? Are you tempted to doubt that God himself will restore your character to the image of Christ? Revealed in honesty at work, selflessness at home, loyalty to friends, and doing good to those who wish you harm in the community? Are you tempted to doubt the promise that he will confirm and grow your faith as you share in Christ's sufferings by refusing to defend yourself? By forgiving those who don't seem very sorry at all for what they've done to you? Are you tempted to doubt the promise that God himself is strengthening and will strengthen you when all your strength has come to an end and you tremble in the middle of your living room on your face at that next piece of bad news that may come your way via an email, a Facebook message, or a phone call? Finally, are you tempted to doubt God's promise that he will establish you on the solid foundation of Christ when all around you society, work, school, and even family seem to be crumbling? Friends, the foundation of Christ and Christ alone are the only safe place under God's mighty hand, humbled under God's mighty hand, so that God will exalt you at the right time, at the proper time, both now and in its consummation at the coming of Christ, is the only place to find true rest from anxiety and debilitating fear. I pray that you would find that rest. I pray that you would respond humbly to God in faith, humbling yourself under His mighty hand, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Oh, friends, this is the glory that explodes over our lives in the crescendo of a fireworks display of God's grace revealed to the world as we live under God's mighty hand, humbling ourselves there, trusting him, standing firm in our faith, and believing in his promises. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to give us grace And I do that, Lord, by saying, help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Help us to stop telling you how we think you should care for us, but rather trusting in you. Help us, us, Lord, to stop trusting other people or ourselves, but, but to trust you, Lord, and you alone. Lord, I pray for the grace to stand firm in the faith in the midst of the opposition of the devil and this world's system and even the flesh. And Lord, I pray that your promises would explode in bright flashes and fireworks displays of your promise to restore us and to confirm us and to strengthen us, to establish us on Christ alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.